You're listening to episode 137 of Diferente. It's me, Maribel Quesada-Smith, and I am back another week with the sixth and final installment of the Entrepreneur Series on Diferente. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest in this final installment. This is the sixth episode of the series on entrepreneurship. Her name is Mikri Agrawal. And let me tell you, I have been following her for quite a while on social media because she evokes what I think is the main bloodline behind being diferente. And so maybe you won't agree with everything she has to say, but like I said before, and I'll say it again, this show is about keeping an open mind and letting yourself get a little bit out of your comfort zone so that you can learn and appreciate new perspectives. Mickey is a social entrepreneur who uses creativity and disruptive innovation to challenge the status quo and change culture. She is the founder of several acclaimed social enterprises, Wild Thinks, you might have heard of those, Icon and Tushy, and she's also an author. Her most recent book is called Disrupt Her, a rallying cry for women to radically question the status quo. Disrupt Her is an unabashed manifesto that inspires us to move past outrage and take positive steps on the personal, professional, and social levels. I mean, it's like she's been living inside of my head for the last two or so years. Honestly, I can't wait for you to get to know Mickey during this episode. This is going to be a two-part episode because, of course, like I said before, this series is just too much to handle in one. So in the meantime, enjoy my conversation with founder of the Thinks Underwear that I so love, Mickey Agrawal. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming at you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you stories and ideas related to life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Mickey, welcome to Diferente. Thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today. How are you? Great. Happy to be here. So let's go from the beginning. You grew up very differently, possibly, than in the U.S. I don't know, because you grew up in Canada. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your childhood? Yeah. So I am half Japanese, half Indian. My mother came to this country, to, to Montreal, Canada, when she was 24 years old from Japan. And my dad came to Canada when he was 26 years old from India. And they met and they fell in love. And within seven months, they were married. And then they basically had three children within one year. And we grew up in Montreal, Canada. So it was such an interesting life to grow up in a French culture. Um, but also really deeply embedded in both the Japanese and Indian cultures too. And and so I think we just grew up having really, I guess, unique perspectives because we got to, you know, really be immersed in many cultures at the same time. So that I think that really paved the way for us to, you know, I guess, look at things a little bit more from maybe a, maybe a different angle than if you were, than, than you know, someone someone born in in, in one place. How did you feel 
as a person, like going to school and having friends? Did you feel different? Did you feel like people looked at you like you were different? Or did you feel like you were a part of the community? I think I, I would, I never thought of myself as different. I mean, the good news about Montreal, Canada, is that it's such a confluence of cultures. It's such a mosaic mm -hmm. of different cultures coming together. You know, you, you know, one of my classmates, or a couple of my classmates wore hijabs, another, you know, a couple of my other classmates prayed five times a day, a couple of my classmates believed in their one type of God and other classmates did believe in other things. And It was like every rainbow of nationalities and therefore perspectives um, in one place. And so I think you, I really grew up with, with a lot of tolerance for this stuff. I think Canadians are really known to be tolerant and embrace, you know, all ethnic diversity. You know, so for me, I never really felt like I was any different. I felt like I was just one out of the many cultures in the room. Yeah, that's so interesting that you bring up the word tolerance um, and, and associate Canada with that, because I was thinking from listening to some of your other interviews that it seems like you were raised to be very empathetic. Do you think that that had an effect on how you see life now? I mean, I think that the word might not necessarily be empathetic, although, yeah, it just makes you just more aware of, of all the cultures. I think empathy definitely grew with all the experience I had till now. But I think the piece about growing up in Canada was because we were around so many cultures, it was just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, I don't want to play myself up and be like, I was an empathetic kid. Because I really I really wasn't. I was, we were all very rambunctious, my sisters and myself. <laughs> we were all very rambunctious. But it was just like, it wasn't a thought. Empathy grows when you have challenging experiences. You know, empathy grows when you go through something and then you, you know, you can empathize with someone else who has gone through something similar. And I think that comes often with, with experience. I think, you know, just from a tolerance perspective, it was just like, oh, we're all the same. We're all just, you know, different shapes, sizes, colors. It's cool. Like everyone's cool and no one's judging each other for that. So I think that's what I grew up with. It was sort of a baseline of it doesn't matter what color skin you are, what what doesn't matter. It's just like, who are you? Are you a good person? Are you interesting? Are you creative? Are you fun? Are you athletic? Are you, the, you know, it, just, it never occurred to us about anything else. I mean, that's something that I can totally relate to as someone from Mexico City. In Canada, you didn't really experience maybe the feeling of being different as much as you would in the U.S.? Or was there ever a point that you were like, oh, I guess I'm kind of different or I guess I'm a person of color? Would you consider yourself a person of color? I don't even know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I never thought about it. It's just not something that I'm like walking around thinking about. And I think that mm -hmm. I never growing up in Canada, you know, experienced gender discrimination or experienced any discrimination at all, I think, just because I wasn't, it just never, it never, it never occurred to me. I think if I was a, a like a black woman of color, it might be different. My experience might be different. I might be, you know, more conscious of it only because there really was racism for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I think when you're like Asian, it's sort of a little bit, you know, it's really, it's different. And so I never considered myself someone who had been discriminated against, you know, growing up. And I, and I think, you know, I have experienced gender discrimination when I was, you know, building my businesses and, and trying to grow things in categories that are generally taboo. You know, when I'm talking about periods or pee or poop or anything like that, it was met with a lot of, why are we talking about it? I should be, should I talk to my wife about it? I don't know what you're talking about. And it was just, <laughs> I just experienced, um, no, it wasn't even discrimination or it wasn't sexism. It was just like a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. And it was something that was societally unacceptable to talk about and therefore mm -hmm 
oftentimes male investors felt uncomfortable talking about the stuff. And it, <laughs> it, it just occurred to me that everyone I was talking to, for the most part, were men, and it was it was all male investors. And so it just became that what became apparent to me in that experience of, build, of, of building my businesses and, and trying to raise capital was that all the investors I was meeting were men. And that kind of like was like, huh, interesting. And you want to invest in your kind, you know, the like, uh, the like minded are attracted to the like minded and um, That's a very good and, point. And they, they weed people out. So oftentimes, if you're like a white male investor, you're going to choose someone that looks and sounds like you over someone who doesn't. How did Mickey Agrawal become this disruptive, I guess, persona as an adult? Were your parents very progressive, very nonconforming? Yeah, my parents were definitely progressive, nonconforming. They would just see problems in society and they would just change them or they would contribute. You know, my, my mother like had a thick Japanese accent. I had a, my dad had a thick Indian accent. They left their whole families. They had no real families here in, in, in America. Yeah. And, you know, they would see things in their communities that needed, you know, needed something and they would just not not complain about it. They would just do something about it. For example, growing up, there was no gifted children summer camp and my parents wanted to put their children in gifted children summer camps. And so without any experience, my mom created Montreal's first gifted children summer camp. And it just, and it ran for 15 plus years with hundreds of children and no experience, no idea of where to begin and what to do, but just an inkling of that this needed to happen. And it was so wonderful just to watch them solve problems without ever complaining about it. They just did something about it. A family of inventors then. <laughs> yeah, it's just fun. You know, it's like, oh, why doesn't this exist? Let's create it. Why not? Like, you know, so. So I want to go to this specific point in your life. You mentioned that when you graduated college, you, you started to work in the world of finance. And then something big happened that changed the course of your career. Can you talk? Yeah. Talk a little bit about that 9-11 experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated from college in 2001. I got a job in investment banking uh, at Deutsche Bank, which was located directly across two World Trade Center. So we, we basically spent two months training right by two World Trade Center. And then I officially started my job the first week of September directly across two World Trade Center. And the usual thing I would do is basically take the subway to the two World Trade, walk upstairs to get tea with my girlfriend at the two World Trade Center you know, coffee place, and then walk across the street to my office. My girlfriend worked on the hundredth floor at Aon and you know, she would have tea with me and I won't go take the elevator to the hundredth floor. Well, 9-11 happened and on that day, 700 people in my girlfriend's office died. And on that day, two people in my office died. And I thought for sure that she was dead um, because it was it was her company and every, yeah. you know, the, the plane. And that's where like, she worked. That's yeah. where she worked. And, and, and after 9-11 happened, nobody could get in touch with each other because all the phone lines were busy. So mm -hmm. it was really impossible. So I really just thought she was dead. But uh, I came to find out three weeks later that she went downstairs to get coffee right when the, right before the plane hit. So she was spared. Oh, wow. And, oh and for me, yeah, it was crazy. And for me, it was the first and only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. Never before or never after have I ever slept through my alarm clock. It was really, really wild that that I just missed it. it. You know, I to this day I'm still the lightest sleeper, and it was just wild that that I missed it. And and what I realized from that day was that wow, the mystery of life is that you never know when it's going to end. And you know, I remember waking up that morning. It was like ten o'clock in the morning when I woke up, and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, I'm late for work, I'm late for work. And I started like calling car services and trying to figure out how to get to my office and think, I was like, oh my God, my, I'm going to get fired. This is crazy. 
And I kept trying to call and call and call. All the car, car service lines were busy. Yeah. And I was like, what it, the hell? You hadn't turned going? on the TV, I'm guessing, either. No, exactly. Finally, when the first car service company picked up the phone, all that was said to me was, turn your TV on and click, hung up on me. And like out of context, it was like, what are you talking about? But then, oh my God, turn my TV on. Like, I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. And then I checked my email, had hundreds of email messages from everyone I knew being like, where are you? Are you okay? Are you okay? And it really, that moment was, was the, the moment that shifted the course of my life to really pursue my passions to live every day like it was my last and to really honor that which lit me up. And I really recognize that the mystery of life is that you never know when it's going to end. You know, we could die tomorrow and that every moment from that moment on had to count. I feel like you really do live every day like it's your last or you live your life fully, at least from what I've seen on social media, which I know can't be trusted at all, all the time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I do, sh I do, I do share. I feel like you, you, you come off as a very authentic person who just... You just seem you seem happy. You seem like you want to embrace life and and run it full speed. Yeah, I mean, like I did this sound meditation a, a few years ago in 2016, and this is basically eight hour long sound meditation, and it was led by this ethnomusicologist who led us on this like incredible. We were all blindfolded, we were all laying down, and it was like an eight hour long sound meditation, and it was such a powerful experience. And what came out of that meditation was like was just this, like, holy shit, we're alive. <laughs> holy shit, we get to wake up and, and, and breathe and we get to see the world and we get to experience and feel things and we get to, you know, experience the magic of, of being alive. I mean, the miraculousness of that, that we get to be here for such a short amount of time. And, you know, we get to see the land and find love and eat food and taste things and, and feel pain and feel loss and feel anger and feel agony and feel, you know, like bliss and feel orgasmic and feel, you know, just all the things. It's just like, it's just all so miraculous. And, and I just feel like we take it so for granted often as humans that we get to wake up every day. You know, I'm giddy every single day. I think that there are moments where I've been through some of the most painful times in my life, building my businesses, going through just, you know, some excruciating experiences. But what always, always emerged after I went through those things was, wow, I got to feel that. I got to be on this earth and feel that pain. I got to feel what that feels like before I die, you know? And that's so, there's poetry there. And no, I, I, I agree. I agree. And I think a life-changing experience probably, definitely, not probably, definitely has that kind of effect on you. But I have to say, like, I've been working a lot on fear and trying to conquer yeah. my fear of whatever, rejection, you know, loss. And I feel like when I look at you, when I read about you, I can tell that you are someone who has let go of a lot of fear. What would you say to someone like me who, I, I don't know, I just, I, I feel like you don't have the hangups that a lot of people have. Like you're free, you, you don't care what other people think, or maybe you do, but it doesn't really show through. Do you think that that's been the key to your success in business, in what you're doing, in your life? What do you think? I know I asked you like three questions in that. <laughs> no, no, no. I think the most important thing to really not care about what anyone thinks is if you have a really, really solid community yourself, that you've spent the time to build a group of friends that really have your back. And in order to really go out there and disrupt shit in the world and to really put yourself out there and go against the society as a whole, 
you know, you have to have a faction of your people who really, really, really love you, who really, really honor you, who really, who you honor and you support first and you're there and you show up for them and they show up for you. And, and I feel like for me, like I've been able to wade through both the most epic highs and the epic lows because I have such a, such a strong group of friends that love me and I love back and, um, and see me for truly who I am, flaws and all. And, and they know you. And they know me and I know them. When you have a tight, tight-knit group of friends, you, you do become invincible after that because you're like, fuck it. I don't, <laughs> they don't know me. They can talk shit, throw rocks at me and say anything. But like everyone who knows me knows me. Or those people can revere me and love me and think I'm like, you know, my shit don't stink or whatever, but it does. And I'm not, you know, whatever. And I'm, you know, I'm really as flawed as everyone else. On both sides, it just feels really, really beautiful to have the friends around you who ground you on both sides, who ground you, you know, when when you're getting praise, but also ground you when you're getting like, you know, dragged through the mud. And so I think that that's critical. I think that people are like, well, how do you withstand it? How do you bounce back so quickly? Or how do you go against this, that and the others and and do it with so much conviction? I always say like the step one is to show up for your friends, show up for people. If you don't have any friends, that's okay. Go and, and make friends, go and go to places where you, where you find inspiration, go meet people that are doing things that you are inspired by show up for their book launches or their, you know, and ask for their email address. Cause you want to offer them something. You want to like connect yeah. them to someone that you think would be value added for them. Once you give, 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 give to others, they will, they will be like, wow, this person's really value added in my life. Like, let me learn about mm-hmm. this person. And then, then you get to really build an authentic friendship that way. But it can't be from a place of taking first. The amount of times I get emails or messages from people being like, can I pick your brain? Can I pick your brain? Can I keep you, can you take your coffee and pick your brain? I'm just like, not interested. Don't do like, you start by giving, you start by offering, you start by saying like, Hey, like I'm in school. I don't really have any like real world connections, but I can find out who the editor in chief of my school newspaper is and connect you to them. So they can write a story about what you're doing. Cause I think what you're doing is really inspiring. And I'd be like, Oh wow, that's really nice. Thank you. Sure. Why not? And then they, they write back and be like, Hey, like here's the link to the article that that was written about you from my school by the way i have a couple of more questions to ask you you know would you think i would be like much more amenable to answering those questions than to you know if you just started by taking first you know gary vaynerchuk wrote a book called jab 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 right hook which is the idea is like give 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 then ask give 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 then ask and i feel like you know the reason why you know, my twin sister, myself, my, my husband, Andrew, like my sister's fiance, Eli, you know, are, are such staples in our communities because we always are organizing. We're always giving, we're always finding ways to like get our friends together and, and, and deepen and, 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 and just like give, you know? And I think our friends really recognize that and, and they want to give in return too, which is why we value yeah, that. And there's value in that all around. I mean, you give and you receive so much. But besides that, what I think is really yeah. fucked up about life is this. You can have an amazing supportive group of friends. But the fucked up part is that if people don't want to buy your stuff, <laughs> you can't have a business. So it's like this really weird, like in between that you have to live this life of like, well, I don't really care about what people think, but unfortunately I need people to like my stuff (laughs) and so I don't know I just always feel like it's like this weird back and forth like there's no there's definitely no happy medium how do you manage that because yes on one end you want to be authentic and you want to put your real self out there but on the other end you know that you still have to make profit so how do you balance the two you do it by creating businesses that are disruptive you do by creating 
products that c- create the conversation, you know, by, by like, like I always talk about blue ocean businesses, you know, categories that are one of businesses that are one of one, not one of many. Like the idea is that like, if you're competing with so many other people, it's, a, it always ends up becoming a race to the bottom, you know, whose toilet paper is cheaper, you know, it's like, ugh, you know, versus creating a new category, like period underwear category did not exist. We invented that category. Now there are other competitors that are in there. Um, you know, for the, from a mass consumer perspective, same thing with bidets, like bidets had existed a little bit in this country, but there have been no brand. And so now we're creating a brand in this category uh, and we're really creating a new American category that hadn't really existed before. And so that that's a blue ocean category. Now, all of a sudden people are like, wait a minute, trees, like we're flushing down 15 million trees to make toilet paper. Oh my God, like a single roll of toilet paper requires 37 gallons of water to make one roll of toilet paper. I'm going to look into, you know, Mickey's new thing called Tushy and and check out their bidet because, wow, for only $69, I can attach a bidet onto my toilet without any plumbing or electrical and turn my toilet into a bidet and then not waste all these trees. And probably use less water. Oh, yeah. Less water overall. You're saving 55 gallons of water per week by using water to properly clean yourself. You're saving your health and hygiene to the tune of 30 million combined cases of chronic urinary tract infections, hemorrhoids, yeast infections, anal fissures, all these things are being exacerbated by using toilet paper. You know, the amount of money you spend, the average family of four spends about $500 per year on toilet paper, which, you know, in three months, if you buy a bidet, you're paid back in, in, in a couple of months, two to three months. So it's just like the value propositions are there. And then you start having these greater dialogues about, you know, about things like disposables after we introduce a really interesting disruptive product that are making people have these conversations. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. I think, like I said, it's like you have to essentially disturb the industry. Hey, you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. What are you doing with this podcast? Are you sharing it with your friends? Because one of the best ways to let somebody know that you care about them is by sharing thought-inspiring content with them. Like this podcast, where we share stories and experiences that expose us to different perspectives. Here are three easy ways to share the show. You can take a screenshot of this episode and post it on social media, text it directly to anyone in your contact list, or you can also send them the link to our website, diferentepodcast.com. Voila! Super simple. If you like Diferente, the best way to support us is by sharing it, sharing it, and sharing it some more. Now let's get on with the show. Now, another thing that you seem to be very good at, I don't know if this is true, again, because all I know is social media, right? (laughs) But it seems like you have it all. It seems like you are a hardworking entrepreneur who also has has a little baby or a son, and you can be a great mom and you can also be a great businesswoman. Do you feel like you've had to basically give anything up? Because I've heard you say that you believe that women can have it all. And as someone like myself who wants to be a mom one day, I'm not a mom yet, but I go back and forth on that guilty feeling of choosing career over kids because I keep feeling like I have to choose one or the other. And then I started thinking the other day that if people stay at home and leave their careers to raise good kids, then what's the point of having kids if we're just going to raise them to be like everyone else? My daughter will just be raised so that she believes that in order to be a good mom, she has to stay home also. And I feel like we just keep repeating this pattern. What do you think? Yeah, I think that, 
you know, one generation ago, yeah, like, like women were mostly in the kitchen. And I think now that, you know, we, it's just so much, so much of the dynamics are shifting because today 64% of mothers are either primary or co-breadwinners. And so as a result, the power dynamics are shifting too, where women are not only earning, you know, equal or more primary co-breadwinners, you know, women are the ones also carrying the baby and, and holding the baby. And so women really do control the household more so today than they've, they've ever done. And I think that, you know, by us marching and, and raising our fists is just certainly not the way to solve and fight the old guard. I think it's by doing it in a new smart way. And for me, the way I think about fighting the old guard or fighting the old school of patriarchal conditioning is simply by having all of women come together and choose with our wombs and only choose to procreate with the kindest, gentlest, most loving men. So there's a, there's a study I talk about in my book in Disrupt Her that talks about the bonobo apes. The bonobo apes, they operate as a matriarchy. And every time there's an aggressive male bonobo that tries to get with a female bonobo, all the females come together and shun the aggressive male nice. away. And this aggressive <laughs> male dies a lonely, miserable death by himself <laughs> And will never procreate with one of the female bonobos. And if the female bonobos will only choose to procreate with the kindest, gentlest, most loving male bonobos. And in one generation can turn an otherwise aggressive society into a kind, gentle, loving one. (laughs) And so can we as women learn from that now that we control the purse strings for the most part and control humanity, you know, being, being, you know, on this earth we know we can just say, women, let us not raise our fists. Let us not march in Washington and fight patriarchy where men are also victims of the patriarchy too, where, you know, that's not fair to anyone. It's just creating more othering. It's doing that, which we're fighting, which is oppression. You know, we're, women are wearing the future's female t-shirts. Meanwhile, you know, we're trying to fight that oppression and, and all that's doing is, is creating more. Replacing one with the other. And, and Replacing one with the other. It's actually the most hypocritical thing we can do is to wear those t-shirts, I That's think. That's an interesting point. What we're trying to do is, is create inclusion and not not create more, oh, now future is female. Now where, where do men fit in? Well, it doesn't matter. They've been oppressing us forever. We're going to now oppress them. Forget <laughs> it. It's just not working. And so instead, we can, we can play much smarter, which is just choosing with our wombs, being like, I will not choose to procreate with a man who is stuck firmly in the patriarchy. However, we as women have to start really liking men who are kind and gentle and generous and also masculine, but also treats women well. Women are, are have not been, you know, have been used to liking the bad boys and kind of like being treated like a little bit like shit so they can chase the men a little bit. <laughs> women are, you know, conniving too a little bit. And yeah. so it's like, you know, are a lot. And so, yeah. you know, we have to all be taught to, to really be like, you know what? I'm done with the asshole. I'm done with like being treated like shit and like having this drama play constantly play like he likes me doesn't like me he likes me treats me like shit let me talk to my girlfriends about it oh he likes me again he's nice to me again he hates me he's mean to me again he likes me and just like this whole thing and you're just like oh there's a whole industry devoted to that it it is and it's just like let's just go one step further and be like you know what we made all men we made you we don't have to oppress you we made you and therefore let us choose the best version of you and let us honor and celebrate and champion and reward the ones who are supporting women and the ones who don't support women, the ones who have been bought, have bought into the whole patriarchal mindset and who are assholes who are not willing to shift and change are the ones who are going to die off on their own, you know? And it just like, that's basically what we need to do. And, but women 
are also wolves in sheep's clothing. The number of women who wear the Futures female t-shirts and vagina necklaces, but are the meanest of mean girls to each other, I have experienced that so deeply. I really need women to really check each other too so yeah. much. Like women no, are oftentimes so much more brutal with each other than, than men are because men are kind of like sometimes like big oafs, you know? So is that your secret then? You pick the right kind of man? Your husband is super supportive and that's how you can work and be out there getting it all the time. But also it seems like spend some real quality time with your son. Yeah, it's a, it's the real, it's the real people. It's not, it's a real husband, it's a real friend. It's those who really, it's, it's all of it. It's just sort of like you really kind of find the good ones. You know, I, I was very, very much, you know, previously, a bit more blasé and being like, Oh, you have a pulse, come work for me, you know? And, and I was not very discerning with, with who I chose in my life. And I really made, made a big shift um, to really focus on, on every aspect of my life, not just, you know, my friendships. I, I really started reworking my friend groups. Um, and, you know, like 10, 15 years ago where I was like, all right, I want to really intentionally choose everyone in my life who really, you know, is, is sort of co-elevating with me, where we elevate together. Once you're really, really intentional about everybody in your life, I think that will shift everything. And that is a great spot to end this part one of the conversation that I had with Mickey Agrawal. Don't worry, the second part to this episode is going to be out next week. And if you're listening in the future, well, you already know, just look for episode 137, part two. In the meantime, please make sure you hit those five stars in the review section and let me know what you think of Diferente. Why do you love listening? Why do you love sharing it with other people? Let us know in those reviews. Just hit the five stars and write a comment. By the way, I hope that this episode, like all the others that you've listened to on Diferente, have awakened a sense of curiosity within you, or at the very least, a desire to explore certain subjects deeper. And if you're liking them, if you're disagreeing, if you're agreeing, let me know because I love having those conversations. This course is what this is all about. So make sure you come and connect with me on Instagram at Diferente underscore podcast or on Facebook at Diferente Podcast. My name is Maribel Quesada Smith. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you like this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at Adiferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.